Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I'm going to read uh, this morning a few few verses out of John, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, to be uh, exact, I believe it's seven verses. After I read seven verses, I'm going to pray real quick. After I pray, I'm going to share a couple stories, and then we're going to get into this application point. But I do believe you're going to leave church today encouraged. We can't receive encouragement in God's house. We're in trouble. And so today's going to be a good day. If you believe it, say amen. Awesome. Matthew chapter 16, let's read this together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said to him, if you've been in church for a long period of time, this is, this is well known. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, because of what you said to me, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I, who's going to build it? That's Jesus. I will build my church. And the gates of hell, Hades, your version might say, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, the keys, the keys, the what? Of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples to tell no one other that, that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's pray this morning. I want to talk to you today about finding your keys. Is that all right? Finding your keys. God, I just thank you this morning uh, for where Church 1132 is. I thank you for a community that loves you, that invites all walks of life that loves people genuinely and sincerely, and that God is called by you to make a significant difference in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area and beyond. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you would do something awesome, you do something powerful, and we ask, Lord, today, this afternoon, that you would help the Dallas Cowboys. We pray for a swift victory over the Chiefs. We just pray blessing and favor, and I just pray for all the, the Dallas Cowboy players to start coming to Church 1132. In Jesus' name, someone said amen. Amen. I believe that prayer. I believe that prayer. You ever lost your keys? Is there anything more defeating, discouraging, challenges your faith, perturbs your salvation? Quite like, I mean, there's probably two things, three, let's say three things that may be really hard to, to deal with going throughout the day without. Uh, I would say your wallet. Can I get an amen? Especially if you're my wife. <laughs> and uh, it, while it's hard to go a whole day without, I would say your cell phone. Especially if you're under the age of 30. Because uh, we live on them. And we visit everywhere else. And the last thing that's hard to live without is your car keys. Car keys. I don't know, man. Lose your, I, I think it's like we can get people on the moon. We should have some way to find car keys anywhere. Like there should be alarm GPS system that can find keys wherever they're at. I just don't, wouldn't that be a great invention if you just like had like a tracking device on your car keys? Uh, I've lost my keys, uh, I don't know how many times. I feel like it's a pretty ongoing basis. I have a two-year-old that thinks it's awesome to throw them in the dishwasher and other places. 
Um, but I don't know what it is about losing keys. Keys are interesting because they're so small, but they, they operate things that are so big. And essentially car keys, you know, like, you know, in and of themselves, there's safety deposit keys, there's house keys. Actually, do me a favor, who has a, who has a set of keys? Who's a married couple? You have a, you have a set of keys on you, Cam? I love this illustration because, uh, you know, everyone, who, 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 everyone has keys, right? I think I had my first set of keys when I was a kid. Who's, who's ever had a secret key at your house? I think it's funny about Americans. We have secret hidden keys. And we think they're secret, but they're not secrets. I remember growing up, we're like, we're going to hide this thing under our welcome mat. Because no one would ever think to look there. Or there's like a, there's one flower pot. See, I could go to your house. I could get in. Remember growing up, I spent most of my life locked out of my house. Uh, I get out of school, my parents worked, and I remember most, I mean, I, that's how I got into armed robbery is, um, I'm kidding, <laughs> I couldn't get into my house, man. I got so good at breaking in, because I, I have two older brothers, uh, John and Lucifer, and uh, <laughs> I love that joke. Just feels good every time I say it. <laughs> it's not his name. His name's Satan. Um, but my older brothers, they would take the hidden key and they would never put it back. Do you have that person in your family too? So every time I needed it, it was never there. And I can't tell you how frustrating it is to know that you're supposed to be able to go in the house. You ever noticed how annoying it is? The little things in life that you take for granted. Like, I grew up in the desert of California. It gets like 100 in hell. Like, like dogs die in the summer. It's hot there. And it gets so hot. And I'm like, I, I took for granted how good it was. Just, just, I should be grateful for just being able to go inside until I couldn't get inside. I can't tell you how many days I come home, I couldn't get in. And I have to go sit in the backyard in the hammock, take a power nap until someone showed up. I remember looking in the windows just thinking, man, my life would be better if I could just get in there. I would just be happy if I could, I mean, it's funny, I'm complaining about the stupidest things, but all I want right now is just to be in the air conditioning, to be on that couch, to be eating those chips and that salsa. Can I get an amen? It's crazy, we take things for granted until we can't get into them. And I just believe, you know, what's interesting about car keys is uh, my wife and I, we both have keys, and I love this because in Matthew 16, Jesus refers, he says, look, he says, hell has gates, heaven has keys. You know what I love about keys is I love the fact that Jesus says that, that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. My wife and I both have key rings. You know what's interesting about husbands and wives is I have the exact same keys. You track with me. Why do we have the same keys? Because everything I have access to, I have given her permission to have access to. It's very weird in a marriage when you have access to things that you don't give your wife access to. In great relationships, there's a trust. Are you following me? There's a camaraderie. There's a loyalty. There's a, there's a togetherness that you go, you know what, Rochelle? Anything that I have access to, you have access to. Except my car. Come on. Amen? My wife has car keys to my car. She has house keys to our house. She has, she has the, the, the lock at the storage unit that we don't need. Come on, follow. She has the same keys to everything that I have. Why? Because there is a relationship that we have a mutual agreement. What belongs to me 
when we got married, now belongs to you, for better or for worse. We got the, we got the same, same keys. I like these keys. I think you need a new Seahawk thing, though, bro. The Seahawk thing is struggling. You guys see that? Where's the camera at? I'm just oh, Spencer. See, I'm sorry. I mean, cowboy thing. This cowboy thing is really messed up. I love it. Keys. Jesus, I love it. He says, I'm not going to give you, look, I'm not going to give you locks. I'm going to give you keys. I want you to have access to the places I have accesses to. You know what I think, though? The frustration of losing your keys is, is you don't realize how important they are until you don't have them. You have the nicest car. I've learned this. You have the nicest car. You have Bugatti Veyron, zero to 16 under two seconds. You know, goes 253 miles an hour. Drives so fast that literally, it, it, it drives so fast that it would wear the tires out at 253 miles an hour in uh, 11 minutes. Going 253 miles an hour would wear out its $16,000 tires in 11 minutes. But you would never... Ruin your tires because going 253 miles an hour, you would run out of gas in nine minutes. But you know what's interesting about the Bugatti Veyron, as bad as it is? That car does nothing without the key. You hear me? And I want to let you know, like my daughter, I, I, I don't like it when she's in my car, my two-year-old, because she's turned all the way up. I don't like her in my vehicle touching stuff when the keys are in it. Because it's dangerous. Because, listen to me, kids can't handle things that, that have power when they can't, they can't be trusted with the keys until they know how to use it. And I believe that we, we serve a God, a heavenly father, that's the same way with his children. There's keys that he has that he wants to give the church. Not just our, the church, but this church. Do you know that every church God gives unique keys to? Keys of worship and creativity and commerce and business and influence. God gives keys. But listen, cars aren't powerful until the keys are in them. My Chloe can go all day long messing with everything, breaking everything. If the keys aren't in there, she can't do much damage. But the moment those keys come into that vehicle, especially if it's a radius key, it's a little fob, there's all of a sudden a potential for things to happen. And I just felt, I was praying, man, this is, again, I, I preached this two weeks ago at our church, at our youth ministry. God put it like near and dear to my heart that I believe that, that the body of Christ as a whole has these keys that are the exact same keys that are on Jesus' key ring. But you know what we've done is we've lost a lot of the keys. We've lost them. It's not that we don't have ownership, we're not supposed to have them, it's that we misplaced them. And I believe one of the greatest things that we can do when we lose something is remind. Who's ever had a mama? I think that's a pretty easy question. Did you have the same mom as me? You lost something, you're looking for something? She says that demeaning question. Where did you have them? Um... Now, mom, I know you mean well. But the issue is, mom, is uh, if I knew that. We wouldn't be here. This was conversation wouldn't be taking place. Where'd you have them last? I want to talk to you about three keys this morning. Three keys we're gonna we're gonna find again. I'm gonna rediscover. And by the way, when I, when I say rediscover keys, I'm not talking about inventing anything new. I'm, I'm talking about reminding ourselves about what's already on our key ring. You know what's on your key ring? 
I believe one of the greatest keys that the church doesn't really utilize or acknowledge is the key called the name of Jesus. The Bible says the name, Proverbs 18 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, that the righteous run to it and are. You know what he says in John? I love this because in John, uh, I believe it's John 16, he says, he says in John, yeah, it's John chapter 16, verse 23 and 24, he says, when you pray, ask, you know, ask in my name. Ask in my name. When you, when you talk to God, when you're, when, you're, when you're in a difficult situation, when you're in a, a trying situation, when you're in a good situation, whether it's good day, bad day, raining, sunny day, he says this, when you pray, pray using my name. Do you know that the name of Jesus is a key? It's a key. For instance, like, for instance, I have a brother in California, and if you were ever in California and you fell into hard times and you called my brother, and if I told you, I said, hey, uh, you said, Pastor Mark, hey, I'm in Southern California. You said you have a brother here. I don't have any money. I don't have any gas. I don't have a place to stay. You know what I would tell you? I'd say, hey, I have a brother there. All I need you to do is call him up. Even though you don't know him, all I need you to do is tell him, hey, Mark Francie, I want you, when you call him, to use. And when you tell a perfect stranger that the person you love, the person you value, the person that's family to you, told me to call you. You know what, my, you know what a perfect stranger's going to do when you call him using my name? Is he would give you money. He would put gas in your tank. He put food in your stomach. He put a roof over your head. Not that he knows you or loves you, but because he knows and he loves. You know what the key is here when Jesus says, pray in my name? Is he saying, look, there's times, especially when you don't know God at first, when you're a stranger to God, and you don't have a depth with God. It says in Luke, Jesus uh, was with his disciples, and his disciples were like, hey, Lord, we got to rebuke some people because they're casting out devils in your Listen to me. Do you think God was kicking out darkness for these strangers of Jesus because God, I'm, go with me, was familiar with them and gave them authority? Or was it because God, when they used Jesus' name, was familiar with Jesus? And was familiar with Jesus' authority. Do you know what I've learned about using God's name? Is when you, would, you pray in God's name, God the Father goes, hey, I know Jesus. That's my son, my family. And you're asking not in your name, you're asking in his name. And I want to tell you one of the greatest things you can do when you're praying over your kids and your kids are trying to act crazy is you come together as a husband and a wife and you say, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, you said as Christians, as the part of the church, that we can tie things up in heaven and they will be released on earth. Time up there, time up here, loose them here, loose them there. Right now, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. They will not wander, they will not falter, they will not be weary, but this child is called, chosen, and will serve you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. I'm not telling you that we, we don't know some of this stuff. I just think that we've forgotten where it's at. There is power in praying in Jesus' name. Man, our marriage is struggling. God, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind this marriage to the perfect will of God. 
You know what my pastors did over, over my, 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 my in-laws? All three of their kids have served God their entire lives. Pastor's kids, right? And it's interesting, I always ask them, like, what'd you guys do? They said every day we would pray at night, and when we prayed, we'd pray over each one of our kids, binding them to the perfect will of God in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what's powerful, friends? is when you discover and rediscover the power that God has given us in his. It's a key. It's a key. Chuck, Chuck, Mark told me to call you. And Chuck would say, anything that I would do for Mark, I will do for you. You know what happens when we pray using Jesus' name? God says, anything that I would do for Jesus. Are you following me right now? Reinhard Bonnke says that God's word has just as much power in my mouth as it has in his mouth. Because the warranty and the guarantee is not in the person saying it. Now, it's in the person that said it then. Are you hearing me? There's power in the name. Are you with me this morning? Second key I believe that we gotta, we gotta rediscover today is, is, is this key called, this is gonna go old school just for a second. Some of you gonna appreciate this is this key that we don't talk about in the younger generation called the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus is a key. It's one of the greatest keys on our key ring. In Exodus chapter uh, 12, I believe it is, Exodus 12, it talks about, it talks about uh, the Passover, right? And we have, this, we have this moment that it's the 10th plague. God sends a death angel throughout all of Israel. And Jesus says something really powerful. By the way, I think it'd be worth noting here if you're atheist or agnostic, how cruel would God be that, that he actually forced these, the, these people to, to kill a lamb, to eat the lamb, to prepare themselves, put their shoes on, get ready to go. And it says that the death angel came through and it says that when they actually put the blood on the doorpost of the house, they would actually put it on each side and in the middle. Now, if you think about this, this is obviously foreshadowing of the cross, that on the left side, on the right side, in the middle, on the top. What happens when the blood would drop from the top? It would come down and would form a cross. Listen, when Jesus, Jesus 2,000 years ago, dies as the sacrificial lamb of God, he does the same thing after the fact that happened during the Passover. But I want to just make this little, little observation you've never heard of probably before, is that notice that when God in Exodus 12 says, put the, the lamb's blood Eat the lamb, prepare yourself. When you put the lamb's blood over the household, everyone and anyone in the house, anyone. Do you know that it doesn't say only Jews? Do you know this is after nine mighty plagues? And the Bible actually says there was Egyptians that became foreigners amongst the Jewish people that actually, they actually went into some of these houses and they killed their own lambs. Are you following me? Because sometimes we get so weird, we're like, well, God was so exclusive, and he was like anti-Egyptians. No, his mercy is to all people. Well, what about when he killed Jericho? Do you know that he said, all right, Rahab, anybody that's in your house, do you know, check this out. You know what he said? He said, anyone that's in your house, and he watched, he says, anywhere that the red ribbon is out of the window, that represented the blood covering the house. I feel like preaching this morning, man. It's not my notes. Do you know, he's, you know what God, you know what I believe? You know why they marched around for seven days? Because, listen, I believe God was trying to give them seven days to come to them sense, their senses. There was seven days of grace in Jericho. 
Are you following me? They're looking out the window going, man, they're marching around the city again. God's like, put more red ribbons out your windows. If every house in Jericho in the wall would have put a red ribbon out, God would have spared the whole city. Because there was no clause or limitation on who would be spared other than anything that has a red ribbon out will spare that house. And back at the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, he says, anywhere that the death angel sees the blood on the doorpost, it'll put the adversary to flight. It'll bring protection over the house. Are you following me right now? And I think we don't do realize sometimes, we don't realize is that there's still power today in the blood of the lamb. Today, there's still power. There's power to cover your family. There's power to cover your kids. There's power to cover your businesses. I've gone into houses, they said we're haunted. You know what I did? I brought a little oil with me because I'm old school. Come on, somebody. And I go up in there and I would straight up, I would anoint the room and I would, I would pray and decree. I appropriate the blood of Jesus over this property. Anything that's dark, we send the adversaries to flight. Darkness, you have no legal right here. We appropriate the blood. Are you hearing me right now? And when you understand this key called the blood of Jesus, you're no longer scared of darkness. That was a scary angel. I guarantee if you would have saw that angel in Exodus chapter 12, slaying people, that's scary. But you know what's crazy? Just on the other side of the blood, People were inside watching the Cowboys try to win. You know, <laughs> they're going to win. They're on the other side of that blood, and they're safe in the house. And I want you to know today, I think that one of the things that the church has kind of gotten away from is we don't talk much about the blood of Jesus anymore. But I want you to know that once a year, back in the day, the high priest would go in. Only one person had access. One person every, every year would have access to go behind the veil you know what they would do is they take all the, all the blood from the, the they take some of the blood from the altar, from all the sacrifice that they did. Wealthy people would uh, use a lamb. Poor people would use a pigeon. And what they would do is every year uh, during the day uh, of atonement is they would actually, you'd bring your family to the church as the dad. You'd lay a hand on this lamb and you'd say, all the sins of the Francie family we put into this lamb with the priest. And the priest would take the lamb. They would slaughter the lamb. The lamb would die for your sins. This is where we get the phrase scapegoat. Scapegoat was someone that took the sins of your household and they would sacrifice it in the blood from the altar of all the lambs, all the pigeons that were slayed. They, the high priest would take a little, little bit of a little container. He'd walk into the holy place, the most holy place. He would go behind the veil. They'd have a rope tied to his leg. He'd have bells on his outfit because every year God would accept or decline the offering. And he would take the blood with his little like paint stick and he would splash it seven times on the mercy seat. Is this all right? It's too deep today. Seven times on the mercy seat. You know what happened on the mercy seat is if God accepted the blood, the priest would walk out alive. If he didn't accept that offering that year, the priest, you'd hear, bring. They had bells on his, his garment so that the people behind the veil, and the veil was thick, they'd know that he's dead. And they'd have to pull him out with the rope that's on his leg from behind the veil because, listen to me, God always responded to the blood. Human blood, animal blood was hit or miss. It was accepted some years. It was declined other years. But blood of Jesus is perfect. 
God has never seen Jesus' blood and said, I don't accept that place. You follow me today? There is a key called the blood of Jesus. And if I can encourage you today, don't be shy in appropriating that blood over your life. I'm not trying to be weird, hyper spooky, spiritual, but I'm telling you, when you're praying sometimes and you feel heavy and you feel dark and you feel like, man, things are trying to come against you and temptation is knocking at your door, you say, God, right now I take authority over this spirit and I appropriate your blood over my mind, over my heart, over my house. Can I get an amen? Come on, give God a hand clap this morning. There is power in this key called the blood of Jesus. And the last key I would share with you that we all know about is this key called praise. I think one of the greatest things that we don't realize sometimes is there is power in praise. I can't tell you how many Christians I feel sorry for that they intentionally showed a church late, showed up late, late to church because they're like, I just want to get to the good part of the service, the message. That's offensive to musicians, by the way. You get, you get in some trouble if you say that to a musician. By the way, we have some phenomenal musicians here. I want to let you know that we don't, we don't sing songs, kind of get in the mood. All right. All right, I'll take notes now. I'll take notes now. I'm kind of in the mood. I kind of feel it now. I feel a little better now because we sang a couple songs. A little kumbaya. We don't, listen, we don't sing. We don't praise to make ourselves feel good. Do you know there's only one thing that God, well, a couple things that God can't do. Some of the main things God can't do, God can't sin. Clear for that. Do you know what, God, this is kind of crazy. One of the only things God can't do is God can't worship. Do you know that? One of the only things God can't do is God can't praise. You know what worship requires? It requires someone higher than you. And God can't praise because there's nothing that's higher than him. It's one of the only things God can do. It's what we were made to do. Do you know that human beings, as, as creatures, we are made to worship something? Some, some atheists go, well, I don't worship anything. It's like, no, you worship your in- intellect. You worship sports. I've seen some of you at Cowboys games, right? Spend, you'll spend 20 grand for an hour and a half of entertainment, two hours of entertainment. You'll paint your chest. Come on. The guys, amen, <laughs> paint your body. You'll be at the game, losing your mind, shouting, ah! Why? Because you were made to worship. Isn't it funny? I always think it's interesting, like sports, because I, you know, I mentor a lot of NFL football players. i got to be finished here in a second. I mentor a lot of NFL football players. But you know what's interesting? Like, the majority of the people in the stands and the people at home watching don't know one player on the team. But you never know, by the way, that people are celebrating. Some people get more excited at a football game than they do at a wedding for their daughter. I don't know anybody. It's funny. We, we celebrate these teams. We're like, ah, I love it. I'm all about it. I shout to it to, at games. But I think it's interesting that we shout for our teams. And the reality is we don't usually know any of the players. And even if we don't know the players, we're like, well, they're, they're my boys. And it's like, they're not even from Texas. Most cowboys aren't from Dallas. And the reality is, is, is they could be gone tomorrow from one organization to the next. Whoever pays them more. But while they're wearing our laundry, we're going to lose our minds for them. Pretty much all the NFL is, is you're cheering for laundry. 
You get mad at people when they're not wearing your laundry, and you love them when they are wearing your laundry. Are you following me? That jersey. You know what's funny is that we're made this way. You know why you celebrate when your team scores? Because you feel like when they get victory, that they're actually scoring for you. You know that God made us this way? Why do we find so much, like we're Americans, right? And you watch the Olympics and when your nation represents America well, we get the gold, Michael Phelps, come on. If you're Jamaican, when Hussein Bolt runs, you feel like you're a champion. You haven't done anything. You're eating Lay's with eight layer bean dip. You can't run. Can we be honest in church? Why do you feel like a champion? Because God made you with the drive to worship. And back in the day, you know what happened is, is when a king would get a victory, like a Caesar would get a victory, what would happen is, is the entire land would celebrate. And they believed that when the king was victorious, the people were victorious. And when the king was defeated, the people were defeated. So goes the king, so goes the people. You know what happened though, a lot of times? Is what would happen is in ancient world, because they didn't have Wi-Fi and internet, is they would sometimes have victories. Caesar would go to fight. He'd win a war. But the people would be living still like they weren't victorious. Because no one had come through their village yet and made the proclamation. We won that battle. You know what happened though when the, when the, when the announcer would come through, the proclaimer would come through, is they would announce, hey, bring it in. I want you to know that our Caesar, our king, went to that land and we have defeated them and now they are under our command. You know what the people would do is they would celebrate like they went to war. Hear me. You know what Christians do sometimes is we forget that we serve a king that's won everything. Why do you praise? It's a key. It's a key. And when you begin to praise God, that's where I land, is you remind yourself that you serve a God that eternally is secure as champion of everything. That's why Job, even in the midst of the worst hell of his life, he goes, look, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet will I praise him. Why? Because I don't care who dies, who lives, what happens. We'll deal with emotions and grief and sorrow. But listen to me. Ultimately, if we believe in eternity, we win. No matter what happens, we win. If I live long, we win. Live short, we win. Are you following me? It doesn't matter what happens in life. My uncle died of cancer. He was a preacher. He wrote a book on healing while he was dying. I have a golf ball that he gave everyone at his funeral. It's his favorite golf ball. And on the back of the golf ball, it says, no matter what happens, we win. I travel with that golf ball in my bag. For like the first six years, I traveled itinerantly. It was a reminder that we serve a God, that no matter what life throws at us, we win. I gotta tell you guys that when I praise, I'm not reminding myself only, I'm reminding the devil that we win. And when I praise, I'm reminding myself that look, though it's, it's challenging, I know the future, we win. And that's why we praise. We praise to get authority in the moment because we serve a God that wins. There is a key called praise. And I don't sing because I have a good voice, I sing because I have a good God. We win. We win. We win. And I want to pray for you today as you all stand to your feet.
Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.